sink in for a bit. Welcome to Kikai Runner on the go. And this is my special Phuket podcast. What you just heard was the chanting of the Buddhist monks at the Big Buddha over in Chalong, which is a part of Phuket. As you all know, I got back from there last week. But aside from the training that I did there, I also went around and toured a lot of the tourist spots on the island. So I went to like I said, the big Buddha, and then Wat Chalong, which is Chalong Temple. It's a it's a Buddhist temple. Uh, it's actually a complex, so there are many different buildings there, and really picturesque as well. And the last thing that I went to on that particular day was Promphep Cape, which is the southernmost tip of Phuket Island. I would have actually gone trekking all the way down there because you can walk all the way to the tip, but I had to stay on the view deck because I wasn't wearing the proper footwear. I was trying to be Kikai. I was trying to be a girl that day, so I was wearing sandals and a strapless dress. So obviously not the correct attire to go trekking down, but um, hopefully I can do that next time I'm there. Aside from that, I also went on a an island hopping trip to the islands of Panga Bay. When you're flying into Phuket, especially from Bangkok, you're going to see these weird limestone islands rising up out of the sea. And those were the islands that I went to. I highly recommend that tour I took. It's run by a company called 2C Tour. You can find them on TripAdvisor. They're very highly recommended. And they also have a Facebook page and a website. Uh, we left really early during the daytime. I mean, during the morning. Um, they picked me up at 6 a.m. and I was basically the last person that shuttle took. And uh, we went over to the pier and got on the boat. And we were on our way in, I, I guess it was 30 minutes. And... Uh, we basically avoided the whole tourist rush of, of other people going on the same, uh, going around the islands. So, uh, we were able to see these caves and lagoons and all their splendor and it was just us. Uh, there were a total of, I think there were nine of us, um, tourists on this, on this little trip. It was great because it, it was, pretty quiet and um, obviously I was by myself and the other guys were were there were two groups and uh, it was fine by me because I was there just to take everything in I didn't really like talking but it was great to hang out with such a bunch of people um, I had some really interesting conversations as well with Philippe who owns the company with his Thai business partner he really has this passion about Panga and taking people around and it was really funny hearing him speak in Thai to the boat crew it's such a he has such a respect for for the culture and and for the history of these islands as well so uh, definitely a must see and a must do for you if if you're coming to Phuket for the first time or you haven't done this island hopping tour I'd also like to say thank you to 
um, happy car hire for their excellent service. Um, I, I rented a car for the last three days of my stay in Phuket just so I could get around much faster. Um, it's really difficult to, you know, catch a cab because uh, basically the cab drivers all ask for contracts. So if you're driving somewhere that's 10 minutes away, they'll probably charge you 400 baht, which is highway robbery. <laughs> Uh, my other solution was also a private driver, which I hired to pick me up to and from the airport. I'm going to leave his number in my blog post in the show notes, just in case you're in Phuket and need transport and you're not willing to rent a car because you don't really need one. But I'm also going to leave the link to Happy Car Hire in case you do need a car. All right. Um, these are really great services, and I'm I'm so happy that my friend Angelica hooked me up with them because I seriously don't think that I would have had such a great experience in Phuket if I weren't able to get around as freely as I was able to. All right. Now, to the real meat of my podcast, uh, I'm so pleased to have scored an interview with James Kunama. After his triumph at Ironman 70.3 Vietnam, he headed over to Phuket to train at Tanyapura and pick the brain of Maka. Uh, so it was quite easy to get a hold of him, and I'm so happy that he granted my interview request. James is an intelligent guy. He has a sports science background, and he really understands the ins and outs of triathlon, whether it's age group or professional, and he's got some great insights on what it takes to stay in the game. Check this out. Hey, here we are with James Kuma. We're both at Tanyapura. I actually checked out yesterday, but he's here for about a month. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, two and a half more weeks uh, before I go to Ironman Cairns. Okay, so you've got really good results this year. Um, your most recent triumph was uh, Vietnam. How was that race? Uh, well, as everyone will tell you, it was hot. That's about the defining the defining thing about that race. It was hot, hot, hot. Um, felt like about 45 degrees on the run. Um, but yeah, it went really well for me. I, I kind of did my own thing. I got out the water and... and Tim Reed rode away from me and up to the lead group, um, and I just didn't have the power to go and catch those guys. So I decided there and then that I was just going to ride my own race, um, which I did, and I got off the bike only 90 seconds down on those guys, a group of five guys, and was able to pick them all off on the run, which was perfect. Uh, you know, I ran, I'm very happy with my run. Um, at the moment, it's going really well, and I saw that on race day there. I, I was able to run comfortably um, past everybody and actually get more of a lead than I needed um, but it was a good test for me going into Cairns and going into the rest of the season. Did you do anything special to prepare for the environment for Vietnam? I know you were here earlier. Um, yeah I did I did 70.3 Bustleton uh, the weekend before which was not good preparation at all for that because it was three degrees on the bike it was absolutely freezing uh, and then I came to Tanyapura but I was only here for about three days so it didn't get much heat acclimatization or anything like that um, no I didn't do anything specific I, I am from South Africa and from a hot environment so um, I handle the heat pretty well uh, even though I'm, I'm one of the bigger athletes um, the heat's never really been a problem for me, so I kind of adapted to it really well. I did 
it does mean you have to change your tactics a little bit. You have to back off a little bit. You have to, you know, control yourself a bit better. Um, make sure you're getting the third in and, and that kind of thing. But I've raced enough in the heat now to know those lessons. So, um, yeah. Excellent. Okay, so your next goal is Ironman Cairns. Um, last year it was a rainy race. Yeah. Do you think this year it's going to be a hot one? Um, they told me last year was a freak, freak uh, weather, and that's very unusual for that time of year and for that area. Um, that it's normally around 28 degrees, which would suit me perfectly. Uh, I'm hoping for a sunny, warm day. Um, I think, you know, the hotter the better for me. But having said that, I've raced in cold and I don't really mind it. I don't think it'll be that cold that, that it's, you know, not like Bustleton where it was 3 degrees. Um, I think even if it's cold, it'll be 15 to 20 degrees and, and that's fine for me. Um, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to who's fittest. It's not really going to be that everyone's got the same weather conditions. So, as long as I'm fit and ready, um, and so far the training's going really well. So, after Cairns, are you doing another iron distance, or is it all the way just to Kona? Um, well, that really depends on points. Um, this year, I'm behind the eight ball, so to speak, as far as points go. Um, I had a DNF in Kona, um, and because I was focusing on Kona, I didn't do any other races in the late season last year. Um, so I don't have, didn't have any points coming into this year. Um, I was way behind. Uh, Ironman South Africa didn't go as well as I'd hoped it, hoped it would. I only got 10th there, so I didn't get too many points. And then Bustleton and Vietnam are the only points I've got so far. Um, so if I win Cairns, I'll be on the bubble. Um, and then I'll probably have to do another race um, to make sure I'm in 100% secure my spot. Um, We'll see. We'll see how Cairns goes. We'll see how the points go. Um, but definitely there'll be more racing this year. Um, last year I did less racing, trying to just focus on Kona. And I much prefer to race often and use the races to, to prepare myself for the big races. It's kind of having momentum. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to to focus on one race. You Racing is the best training, essentially. Um, as long as you can do the races and recover from the races, um, you're going to be fitter for the next race. Um, it's just finding that balance and not racing so much that you can't recover, uh, but racing enough that you're in peak form for the big races. Okay, so um, I was reading Jodie's latest blog post, and she she mentioned that you were here, and she was over in Boulder, and she mentioned that you're here with your coach, Maka. So, since when has he been your coach? Um, he's He was helping me since about the middle of last year. Um, it wasn't so much a coaching relationship, more of a a mentor guidance um, you know just making the right decisions as far as where to race and how often to race and um, you know the just the bit the major decisions um, and keeping an eye on what I'm doing making sure I'm not going too hard or too long or, you know overcooking it making sure I'm getting the right sessions and um, it was more of a guidance thing a mental mental um, thing uh, just an objective opinion of what I'm doing um, and it's slowly grown into into more of a coaching relationship um, he is a bit more hands-on now with my training, what I do day-to-day. -day. Um, and coming out to Tanyapura, the main reason for that was to have some one-on-one -on -one time with Maka. You know, pick his brain a little bit about my season, pick his brain a little bit about my training, about what I need to do to, to win the big race, you know, essentially to win Kona. Um, you know, he's been there, he's done that. Um, so if I can learn from the guys who have done it before, then that's the best way. So... What do you think he's brought to your performances, physically, mentally, on and off the racetrack? Um, we're still we're still working that out, I guess. Uh, you know, he's, he definitely has 
like I say, he's got the experience. He's been there and he's done that. He, he gets it. He gets um, when I'm struggling, when I'm tired, um, when I'm doubting. You know, it's you know that mental side of, of of training where you where you doubting. Have I done enough? Have I done too much? Am I, am I too tired? Am I not tired enough? You know, um, having someone who's been there and done that to just say, you know, you're up where you need to be. Just focus on the, this race or focus on that race and. Um, focus on the next session or, or have a rest you deserve the rest that whatever it might be um, having someone like that around us is, is invaluable you know it's very difficult to do this on your own it's very difficult to be objective when you're exhausted from hard training and all you want to do is quit or all you want to do is stop or, or all you want to do is push harder because you're so desperate to win um, and you need to slow down uh, you know all of those things are, are, are really negative um, and they can really derail your season um, so having an objective opinion is, is invaluable. And I think that's probably the main thing he's brought to the table. Um, he does also bring a lot of um, experience as far as the mental game, as far as getting my head in the right space for, for race day, you know, for the big races particularly. Um, you know, it's not, it's not always just a case of being physically ready and lining up on race day. Um, you have to be ready to actually race. Um, even if you're super fit, even if you're at your absolute peak, Ironman still hurts a lot um, and even if you're, you're you can be really really fit and if you haven't mentally prepared to go to that deep dark horrible place um, you're still not going to win um, even if you're really fit uh, you have to be prepared to hurt and you have to be, get yourself into that mental headspace uh, and being able to find that on demand on the day you need it and not just hope that it's there um, is a skill that you have to learn um, and that's what I'm working on that's great okay so about Bahrain Endurance so we've been following this team on social media and and seeing how you all support one another in in your individual races, even if um, you're racing against each other. Basically, this is a team spirit that you. I don't know if you've seen it in any other teams or squads or anything like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, triathlon is an individual sport, and we're all out there to win. Um. But. At the same time, there's a lot of camaraderie in a professional triathlon. Uh, we're all friends. Uh, you know, I think about Vietnam, and Vietnam was a pretty cool place to hang out with just the pros that were there. Um, we were all mates. We had dinner every day. We had breakfast together. We had lunch together. We had dinner together leading up to the race and after the race. And then on race day, we were going head-to-head -head trying to smash each other. Um, it, it's kind of just the way of professional triathlon. It's a pretty good pretty good group. Um, there's always rivalries that are, that are more deep but I think for the most case people are out there supporting each other and when you've got a common interest you know the team the way the team is structured the way the bonuses are structured um, we are kind of all in it together we all you know everyone's success is a shared success um, in Bahrain Endurance 13 um, so yeah we do support each other and we do it's it's costs nothing and it, and it means a lot to, to just give a few tweets give a few shouts out for your for your um, teammates and to see them succeeding because when they succeed we all succeed the team does better you know next year the budget's a bit bigger next year the sponsors are on board a few more sponsors on board it all it all works well together um, so yeah it, it's a fun part of the team you know seeing the top guys and all supporting each other at at Vietnam I ran past Terenzo after a few k's into the run and his first words were not very polite I won't repeat them here um, they were they were fairly rude, as, as only a, a Kiwi can do. Um, but he, he immediately followed up with that with, 
go get him, James, go get him. Um, meaning I should go and catch Tim Reed, who was up the road still. Um, so it was, it was a bit of that balance of, of being disappointed that he was getting beaten, but at the same time supporting me and saying, you know, if I can't win this, Bahrain Endurance 13 guy needs to win it, go get him. Um, and that's, that's pretty much, that pretty much sums it up. I think. That's cool. Um, this isn't a training group per se. You, you're all basically doing your own thing. So you were you were on Sutton's squad before. So why did you choose to be on the team? Um, I think it's it's absolutely nothing to do with the looking for what that we had with Team TVB and Brett Sutton. Um, that's that was something completely different. I think. For the most part, it's a it's a good sponsor, good support. You know, um, in a in a sport where getting financial support and getting the the kind of support where you can focus only on racing and winning and not have to worry about all the you know logistics and all that kind of stuff is very rare. Um, so when that opportunity came along with Bahrain Endurance 13, um, it's obviously. Uh, a very valuable thing for Jody and myself. You know, we can now focus 100%, knowing that everything's taken care of for the year. Focus 100% on doing well in the big races, doing well in Kona, um, and that that was obviously the main reason why we choose chose to be on the team. Obviously, having the the team as established and and significant as it is, as far as worldwide exposure goes, um, as we win races and get exposure for the team uh, the team itself gets exposure for us so it's a win-win relationship as far as our careers go um, Brett Sutton's Team TVB was a very different kettle of fish it was com- completely different um, it was a it was more of a a army boot camp team thing where you know it's us against the world and we were taken off into far-flung places like Krabby around the corner from Tanipura <laughs> Um, where we did hard boot camps and we cut off, were cut off from the rest of the world and we all trained together and we all smashed each other with the idea that everyone would come out of it stronger. Um, but it wasn't this, didn't necessarily take care of the financial aspect as well. You know, um, you were given a, a, a salary, you know, maybe not as significant as, as Bahrain Endurance and you just had to make it work. Um, you were essentially there in Team TV for Brett Sutton's coaching uh, more than anything else um, and you, you took all the good with the bad and, and at the end of the day most people got the results because of Brett Sutton's coaching um, but it wasn't necessarily the kind of professional support that we're getting now with Bahrain Endurance 13. I think we're seeing that now with, with all you Bahrain Endurance 13 athletes you're all thriving it's great to see I guess when, when you unburden yourself from all of the other stresses then you're free to shine yeah I think I think you're going to see more and more of that in, in professional triathlon you know as professional triathlon gets more professional essentially um, you know in, in most other sports it's understood that professional athletes are professional athletes and what they do is is race well and compete well um, and they're not expected to be very good at accounting and be very good at tweeting and be very good at blogging and be very good at you know all of these other things to add value to sponsors their job is to race and win Um, and in triathlon there's more of a culture of well we don't get our value from you racing we get our value from you tweeting and blogging and you know that kind of stuff and and it needs to change Um, you know there is place for social media and of course it it does add value to, to sponsors 
but it should just be a, a cherry on top. It should just be an added bonus. Um, the real the real exposure should be in racing, um, what we do best, which is swimming, biking, running better than anyone else in the world. Um, it's it's obviously going to take a bit of time, um, but as the sport gets more professional, I think one of the big things is is the races getting more professional and more coverage. You know, if the sponsors get really good coverage of races, then there's less pressure on you to tweet and blog and try and get them exposure outside of the actual race coverage. Um, the race coverage in the past has been bad, basically. <laughs> yeah, abysmal is a good word. Um, but it's improving, you know. Challenge Bahrain last year had really good coverage, you know, live, live streaming around the world. Um, the WTC coverage, they're trying, they're getting there, I suppose, they're making improvements, although it seems very slow and, and tedious to me. Um, I think they could improve it a lot more still. Um, but yeah, it's coming. And as that comes, the ex- exposure for sponsors come, and it frees us as athletes up even more to do what we do best. That's cool. Do you think that there will be other similar teams coming up in the future? Yeah. Like I said, this this is the way the sport's going to go. Um, you know, like, not it's never going to be quite like pro cycling because they're, it's a team sport, essentially. Um, but it's very difficult to get individual sponsors as an athlete because, you know, I mean, most major corporates have a policy straight up that they don't sponsor individuals. Um, you know, it's too much risk and not enough reward to sponsor one individual. Um, so they will only sponsor a team where their risk is... Is spread, is spread out over the whole team and their reward is also spread out you know there's they're kind of hedging their bets that someone's going to be successful in the team and they're going to make some get some exposure from it um, and I think because of that the sport has to go that way you have to have teams where you have a group of 10 or 12 athletes or 13 as the case may be um, athletes who are all going for wins who are all going for the big races um, but a sponsor can get behind the whole team because they know that at least a few of those people are going to do well. Um, I think it's going to happen more and more, and I think as the teams get more professional and they have better management and they have better sponsors and bigger budgets, um, you'll see the performances of the athletes increasing too. You know, the whole sport will just go to the next level, um, and I think that's exciting to see. You and Jody are in in the same circles right now but what do you and Jody like to do when not doing anything related to triathlon? <laughs> uh, Jody and I don't get a lot of time when we're not doing anything related to triathlon unfortunately um, our lives really do revolve around it um, but Jody and I are both we, we click really well as far as um, you know our lifestyles go um, when you're training as hard as we are and doing as much work as we are um, you come home and you pretty much want to collapse on the couch and watch, watch Netflix or whatever the case may be. Um, and for a lot of relationships, I think, um, even with age groupers, it's very difficult for the other the partner in the relationship who's not doing the hard training to understand that, to understand that situation, to understand that putting your feet up and doing nothing in between sessions is, is as important as the sessions itself. Um, so as far as that goes, we're... We're not afraid to just sit at home and do nothing. You know, we, we spend most nights at home, you know, watching TV. Uh, we don't feel the need. There's no pressure to feel the need to, to go out and have to do stuff and have to party and, you know, um, have to go to clubs, have to go see friends, have, you know, all the time. Um, we've got each other and we do what we need to do to, to perform well. Um, obviously, that's 
got to be balanced with some letting your hair down and socializing and going out and seeing the places where you are and you know um, and we do try uh, we're pretty not, not as good at that as we, as we should be you know switching off when we're not training um, we both kind of focus 100% um, it is difficult to switch off but we're better when we're together I think and that's rare um, you know a lot of people get distracted get you know by their partner um, and I think Jody and I are better when we're together we both help each other we both balance each other as far as motivation and also relaxation Okay, uh, last question. What is the best advice you can give to an age grouper? <laughs> so much to choose from. Uh, how do I how do I narrow that down? Um, I guess the the one thing I always go back to, um, and I've been saying this for years. I I started as a coach when I first started triathlon. I I had got a degree in sports science, and I started coaching at the same time I started tra- doing triathlon, and slowly became more pro and less coaching because I didn't have the time for coaching um, but that would bring me to my main points as far as age group triathlons go and that's get a coach um, you know a lot of people it's there's so much information out there and there's so much advice and there's so much wisdom and you can read all the magazines and you can if you go on the slow twitch and you see all the articles and all the experts and all their opinions it can be very overwhelming very quickly. Um, you know, the sport is, it's fairly young as far as, you know, what works and what doesn't work. Everyone's trying new things and new experiments and new, you know, this is better. You need to do more long rides. You need to do less long rides. You need to do more intensity. You need to do less intensity. Um, if you can take all of that pressure and all of that thinking out of your sport and just have a coach who basically, I mean, ideally... You'd have something like a Tanya Pura situation where you have a squad that you can just go out and train with, and if you're having a good day, you can push the pace, and if you're having a bad day, you can sit off the back and do your own thing. Um, that's ideal. That's not always available. But even if that's not available, if you can have a coach who can just tell you, today you're doing this, no thinking, you get out, you do it. Um, if it hurts, you go slowly. If it doesn't hurt, you do go faster, basically. But you get what you what the coach said. Um, that takes all the pressure off, and you can still enjoy it. Um, and I think a lot of people, it takes them about a year or so, and then they start losing the enjoyment because they stop focusing too much on what they should be doing or shouldn't be doing, or whether they're doing the right thing and, and their goals, and they, you know, they put too much pressure on themselves, and it all becomes a little unbalanced. Um, if you get a coach you can keep the balance and you can keep the enjoyment for a lot longer and if you keep the enjoyment the results will come how important is enjoying what you're doing to staying in the sport Um, I think for age groupers non-elites it is absolutely vital Um, you know if you're if you've got to drag yourself out of bed every morning you know even for even for an age group, it's a lot of work, you know, swimming and biking and running and trying to get them all ready for the distances of 70.3 or Ironman um, is a lot of work. Um, and if you have to force yourself to do it, you're not going to last very long. Uh, it's just too too difficult. Um, it has to be something that is, is fun and enjoyable. The process has to be fun and enjoyable, um, not just the outcome at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's too much work and too long too many long hours um, to you know just put off the enjoyment until race day and then get all the reward on race day don't get me wrong race day is very rewarding um, but there's just too much time before that that you won't enjoy for you to do it again the next time um, 
So you need to find your group, you need to find friends, you need to do it with, you know, you need to do it in fun places where you can explore and, you know, see new roads, see new places. Um, that's always a, you know, I like that when, when we travel. Um, we get to, I get to see all different countries around the world and I generally I see them by bike, you know. Um, I see the roads and I see the, I see a different side to the tourist aspects because you don't go to the big cities, you go to out of the way places where they have races. Um, but you see it by bike and that's part of the enjoyment you're getting the training in but you've seen a new place and if you can keep the enjoyment going you can keep the sport it becomes a lifestyle that you can keep for the rest of your life um, and that's the ultimate goal of triathlon is to be healthy and fit for the rest of your life alright thank you so much James thank you I hope you enjoyed that interview and learned something new today not just about the Bahrain Endurance 13 and how it works but also about uh, really what it takes to, to keep enjoying triathlon. So I personally think that as age groupers, we really stress out too much about the training and we don't enjoy it as much as we should. Well, I guess that's it. To take you out on this podcast, I'm not going to play any extra music, but I would love for you to hear what we heard in those islands of Panga when we had a moment of silence. I'll catch you on the next episode.